Hello, this is episode 91 of the Skeptic Wire. Just to let you know, we did have some technical difficulties with Greg's audio, so it sounds like he's being followed around by an annoying Dalek who's repeating everything he says just slightly after he says it. Tried to clean it up a little bit, but hopefully it won't be too bad. Enjoy! Welcome to the Skeptic Wire. of January 2013, that's 2013, episode 91 of The Skeptic Wire, and I'm your host, Gary Law, and with me, actually, Donna's the host this week, because she set up our little Google Hangout thing that we're trying this week. <laughs> so, with me this week, or with Donna this week, or Donna Swafford, <laughs> Donna's Hi. with herself. I'm... <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> yeah. there. And Greg Perrine, who apparently just got off the road. Yes, just drove back from Rhode Island to Maryland. How long of a drive is that? Um, well, this this time I broke it up with a lunch and a dinner with friends. So it was like a three-hour drive to New Jersey, and then a three-hour drive to Delaware, and then a couple hours down to uh, Maryland. So the drive itself would have just been seven hours, but I stretched it out to more like 12 but that also makes it a heck of a lot of easier drive. Oh, yes. You know, <laughs> and you know, get to pack in little visits with friends here and there. People I haven't seen in 15 years, you know, college friend there, high school friend there. So it's been a good vacation. Excellent. It's going to suck to go We're back glad. to work on Monday. <laughs> Coming back to Texas. <laughs> <laughs> and you're back on Sunday, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, and I'll be gone next week. But yeah, I have. I, sh- I'll, I will. I'll be able to Skype in or Google in or, or whatever we want to do. Yeah, I, I I do apologize for not checking that my dog is still alive. <laughs> so, but we I, had her. I, we had her stuffed and mounted for posterity. Yeah, they'd probably oh, let you know. That is such a dark, evil joke. <laughs> which I really well, couldn't put her in the fireplace. It is. She's fine. <laughs> Teacher Mike has been over there more than he's been to our house, so you're good. <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> so, how was uh, everybody's New Year celebration thing stuff? Quiet. Did uh, says anybody, really? Yeah. Didn't do anything? No. Um, rang in the New Year, got my kiss, and promptly went, uh, good night. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I did. I had a fun New Year's Eve with a friend of mine from college, living in New York City. We went and saw the Hobbit high frame rate version in 3D. And awesome. I guess if you really need a, a skeptical review of that, listen to the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe from two weeks ago. So I was all, I was all ready to talk about it on the show, like, oh, this interesting thing, and driving down to the New Jersey Turnpike, <laughs> listening to the Skeptic's Guide, and it's like, God, they already did it. They, they got us on this one. But 
Yeah, well, we can still yeah. talk about it because everyone, I mean, it's a subjective experience. Yeah. I, I'm probably going to go see it tomorrow. It's a no. very pretty movie, especially the high frame rate thing. And what, I will what? argue with you. <laughs> I, it was, You're looking at it from a different perspective, however, Donna. It was however, a Donna. Wrong, but it did feel very padded of, uh, of you know, just adding in as much as they could, making battle sequences longer than they really needed to be in the it was okay. But, well, go ahead. I, like I said the other day was, if Lord of the Rings is true to the book, The Hobbit is true to the semicolon. <laughs> okay. You're going to have to explain that one. No, they just literally stayed every letter, every grammatical thing in The Hobbit. <laughs> Yeah, they did add in some interesting little filler thing that, like, the brown wizard is only referred to in the book, but you actually see him and have dialogue with him, and it was played by the seventh doctor, Sylvester McCoy, so that was a fun fanboy moment for me. But, uh, yeah, it was entertaining. And then my friend and I went to have sushi, and then a nice cafe in New York City where, you know, they, every, it was it was half full, so it wasn't this crazy, noisy place. We got to sit, chat, watch the ball drop on the TV, and the waiters came over and said, hey, how you doing? And I flirted a little with the waitress and gave her a hug, and they all, you know, it was a nice, relaxing, but still fun New Year's, which is what it really should be. Yeah. Awesome. Gary? Gary? How did you ring it ring here? Um, I went to some... Saying, 2013, 2013, 2013. Pretty close, yeah. No, I went, I went to um, a, a friend's house, a family of musicians, and so I basically played music all night, just jamming with, with other people on acoustic guitar and... And a uh, guy brought in some djembe's, so uh, he and I were playing djembe be- <laughs> between uh, some acoustic guitars, harmonicas, banjo, and an accordion. So fortunately, it wasn't one of those jams where it's just 14 people with guitars. There was actually some musical uh, differentiation. Yeah, well, the the next day, a lot of the people that were there... Uh, we're we're doing a uh, Towns Van Zant tribute uh, concert, and so uh, that's what I did on the first. Is I went to the the tribute and played percussion for for a couple of people, so they were actually practicing for the next day <laughs> because that was that they did that on UStream. Cool. Um, didn't drink much because I was using my hands to play djembe. <laughs> One other fun thing I didn't do on New Year's, but a little earlier than that, um, my best friend from grade school, um, Muslim, we'll call, he's a pediatrician, we'll call him Dr. Oz, but it's AZ, not OZ. Um, okay. No relation. Yes, exactly. He, um, I, I got to rebond with him. I hadn't seen him in a long time. And we went into the city and saw Book of Mormon on Broadway. Which, oh, right which on. you know, is kind of tied into the show a bit because it's skeptical of the religious overtones of Mormonism and pokes fun at how their religion came about, religion in general, how it is treated and, and starts and mutates and all that, and how it's seen in the third world versus the first world. Uh, and it was it's, it's definitely worth seeing, a lot of fun, a lot of very funny, and uh, a nice message. So what do we got today? All right. I, I will well, warn, I will warn all the listeners that I, Greg, am not prepared for anything. 
And I'm a little punchy right now. Yeah. Well, what do you what do you got for uh, birthdays, Greg? You said that you would uh, research that while driving. Doesn't doesn't your your smart car have uh, internet access? <laughs> Wait a minute! You said you do it. No, I said no, I'd no, research no. it when I drive. <laughs> oh no, no! I said I said I'd do it for you. <laughs> so here 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 they are. Okay. So um, it's Little Caesar's birthday. Pizza, yeah, pizza, pretty pizza. much, pretty close. So I will, I will do, I will do the the birthdays. Gary, who was born today in this year in history? Well, I'll tell you, both y'all, all y'all out there in podcast land. <laughs> Gary's enjoying it quite a bit. Yes. Mm. Yes. Too bad he's the only one um, enjoying it. We're gonna go through history. I actually have three people I want to talk Ooh, about. Fred. Yeah, but we're just we're just going to do it briefly. We're not going to go really so into depth kind of into who they are. Past, present, and future thing. Well, it's more like Ghost of Way Past, Ghost of Past, and Ghost of Good Present. Enough. <laughs> so who's, yeah. so who's the way, 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 way The way, yeah, we're taking the way back machine, way, way back. Um, Cicero. Cicero was born in 106 BCE. He was a Roman philosopher whose writings greatly inspired the 14th century Renaissance, who raised Latin prose into a form that could clearly express abstract and complicated thoughts. He inspired the Renaissance culture, and his philosophy inspired the founding fathers of the U.S. And the earthy... uh, And the early Catholic Church called him a, quote, righteous pagan, end quote, and therefore saved many of his prolific writings, so we still have much of writings such as On the Republic and On the Laws. Dude Dude wasn't around there, man. So how do do we know that he was actually born on January 3rd that long ago? I mean, calendars have changed and... Records back then probably weren't too great. How do we know this? Probably through the Catholic Church, actually. So, like, because they kept pretty good records the entire so time. When was he born? Uh, January 3rd, 106 BCE. It may just Catholic be tradition. Church wasn't around back then. <laughs> no, but. Uh, so, kind of like the. the <laughs> Jesus is maybe a little apocryphal, but this is the. the, the yeah, well, I mean, they had the the uh, the guys basically Greek and, and Roman culture were were keeping track of stuff. There were there were historians, and he was a very prolific writer. So they probably just they knew about when he was born, and then they just worked back. Okay, sure, sure. We'll just trust what the authorities <laughs> Absolutely, it's kind of like saying that Jesus was born on the twenty fifth of of December. We know he wasn't. All right, so next one. Um, this is a female. Ooh, Pamela Anderson. Born in... No, no, no. <laughs> Pamela Anderson is way younger than this person, who happens to be Rebecca dead. Watson. <laughs> nope. Keep on, move back. Move back further. Because uh, Rebecca Watson is actually younger than and Pamela Anderson. Okay, okay. So, Yes. So you're going the wrong direction. Go back. Uh, Go back to like 1793. 
Greta Garbo. Before there are movies. No. Okay. Um, 17. Queen Antoinette. Back when the uh, popular entertainment at the time was to go see people speak. <laughs> or, yeah, no, we'll just go with that. Because the other so one, I was thinking it's a female speaker from the 1700s. Marie uh, yes. Antoinette? No, uh, this is an American. Uh, Susan B. Anthony. Very, very close. Same time period, and they worked together. Um, you may not know her name, because I actually didn't know, know uh, who this I was. I don't, unfortunately, know that many female names from that time in history. Martha Washington. No. This is uh, Lucretia Coffin Mott. What a great name. Member of the Adams family. She was a uh, woman's rights and uh, suffragette and uh, abolitionist. Yay! And she was born on Nantucket. Uh, her name is Lucretia Coffin. And there is actually, just on the side, there is a, uh, a hotel on Nantucket that I have stayed in because I got stuck on Nantucket. Um, and it's called the Jaren, Jared Coffin House. Oh. Yeah, it's a very famous house that survived this big burning of so a whole bunch of stuff. Her big fire. <clears throat> yes, Coffin is her maiden name, and she married a, a guy named Mott, whose first name I don't remember. The applesauce maker. So, there you go. It probably. Being now, did she write a lot of remarks being out of Nantucket? Uh, no. <laughs> she 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 didn't really write a lot, but she spoke okay. extemporaneously. There once was a woman <laughs> So she became who okay, yes. I'll stop her right there. <laughs> it's a family show. So she became interested in women's rights when she learned that uh, male teachers at the boarding school where she taught earned three times as much as the well, female it's good teachers. To know that so uh, she was a Quaker, and she became a minister, and she worked very hard against slavery, uh, even going so far as to attend the 1840 General Anti-Slavery Convention uh, that was held in London, England. And she and five other female abolitionists also went, and <laughs> the males, uh, because it was primarily a, a, a uh, male-dominated thing, they decided that they were going to segregate the females from the males because they didn't want the women's rights issues to uh, muddy the waters of the anti-slavery issues. <laughs> so they put her and the, the five other females over in their own little sequestered area, and they were joined by a couple of other uh, prominent abolitionists of the time uh, as a you know show of solidarity. So uh, she was praised for her work on abolition as being, quote, proof that it is possible for a woman to widen her sphere without deserting it, end quote. And that was by an uh, 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 editorial writer in the, in the newspaper, because apparently while she was doing all of this abolition, suffragette, Quaker ministry, she was also... Uh, opening her house to freed and runaway slaves, uh, giving talks, and running the household. So, I mean, she was doing everything at the house and all this other stuff. <clears throat> so she's uh, quite an amazing person uh, because she managed the, the household budget. 
Uh, she put on awareness fairs and um, did uh, started boycotts against slave-made goods. In 1848, she and Elizabeth Cody Stanton organized the Seneca Falls Equal Rights Convention. And in 1866, she was elected the first president of the American Equal Rights Association. But two years later, she she uh, resigned because uh, there was a a rift between Elizabeth Stanton, Susan B. Anthony, and Lucy Stone about uh, women's rights and uh, abolition at the at the time. <clears throat> and she also established in 1864 with uh, other Quakers. They they uh, started up Swarthmore College. Cool. That was That's one busy woman. She was very busy. And she was active in human rights and, and went around the country giving speeches and did debates uh, up until her death of pneumonia in 1880. And she has a statue in her honor made by Adelaide Johnson, which is in the U.S. Capitol. So quite a very amazing woman, and she lived a long and fruitful life. Thank you, Gary. <laughs> yeah, she died November 11th, 1880. So nearly uh, you know, 90, 90 years old. Almost 90. Good for her. So, that was number two. Now, this third person, pretty sure you people heard of. He's an Englishman. He has been knighted. Ian McGill. Uh, born... What? Ian McGill. No. Um, this is very Close. In the right ballpark. It's uh, someone that I would be very honored to hang out with and meet. Uh, born in 1926... Uh, he is known for recordings and for producing. He got his break in recording doing uh, classical and original music, but his first number one single was a comedy album called Mock Mozart by Peter Ustinov. And through Peter Ustinov, he met Peter Sellers, Spike Milligan, Jonathan Miller, and Peter Cook, who we also put out albums for. But this is not what he's most well known for today. Uh, however, I do need to say that uh, Sellers, Milligan, Miller, and Cook put out an album called Bridge on the River Y, which was a spoof of Bridge on the River Kwai. But they were about to get sued for using that title. And so he went through and basically by hand, because obviously it wasn't on <laughs> computers. This is we're talking the 50s. Uh, 50s or 60s. Uh, he went through and removed. He removed all of the K's, which is why it's Bridge on the River Y. So he edited out all of the K's from whenever they said Kwai. So, you may know him from the Beatles. Who produced the Beatles? I honestly don't know. Sir George Martin. George Martin was born today, 1926, and he has three honorary doctorates from three different institutions. Berkeley College of Music, 1989, Leeds Metropolitan University, 2006, and the University of Oxford, 2011. So, be, so besides being awesome guy who produced the Beatles and did all this other stuff, is there a particularly skeptical angle on him, or is it just, nope. he's awesome? Okay. I'm just throwing it out there because that's someone that's close to... Me, my heart. Because <laughs> it's fucking Sir George Martin, man. Okay, then. 
Not that I would recognize him if I passed him on the street or met him, but familiar with his stuff. Anyway, so that's the birthdays for this week. Cicero. Kikaro. Lucretia Coffinmott. No, Cicero. No, it's Kikaro. Whatever. I'm just kikaroing it around. Uh, and Sir George Martin. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so another podcast where Gary is attempting his best to try to piss Donna off by mispronouncing it something. Okay. Yeah, it might be Sisaru. <laughs> Mark that off on your bingo cards, folks. Gary pisses Donna off. Yeah, well. Okay. The kicker out didn't bother me as much as the Renaissance. Renaissance, you know, Renaissance man. <laughs> yep, I'm going to be speaking wrong all night. Well, that's good. Try the veal. <laughs> so, speaking about pissing people off. I was in Jersey. What's your point? You were in Jersey. I did enjoy being back in a state where people knew how to use their car horns and their middle fingers in the appropriate way. <laughs> nice. This past week, I could say this week, yeah, this past week, whatever, a federal court judge has granted a temporary restraining order that allows Tom Monahan to avoid contraceptive coverage for employees in his Ann Arbor Domino's Farm property management company. Boo. Is this a local exactly. owner or a person who owns No, it's the, the CEO. He's a CEO, and this is the guy who started Domino's. He no longer owns Domino's. Okay. He okay. sold all of his, his portion of Domino's, but this is the guy who started Domino's, and now he runs a property management firm, and he doesn't want to cover because he's a, a good Christian and thinks that people should, you know, die of uh, health care stuff that they can't afford. And also thinks that, obviously, women are second-class citizens. And where did Jesus say any of that? Well, you know, it's it's like him and the, the CEO of um, Hobby Lobby. And the guy from Hobby Lobby is now facing $1.3 million in fines a day. And is like, nah, oh, well. I'm all like, uh. <laughs> Yeah, because they don't want, they don't, they don't like birth control and fuck them it's not their job to dictate to their employees well you know what i don't like people getting boner pills so does <laughs> yeah. that mean well from their point of view they think it's morally wrong to do any contraception or or abortion or anything like that so they are saving people from themselves yeah, but well, if they could, weren't getting the boner pills, they'd be saving a lot more. But they're doing it in a big way. <laughs> yeah. Pun pun intended. Yeah. So the uh, U.S. district go right over it. Uh, okay, okay. Yep. <laughs> Just skipping right over it. Yep. That's Sorry, I was I was reading, so I I, I missed what you said. The, I'll hear it when I edit, though. That's the long and the short of it. No. You guys are just going to give me the chat. Yep. Yeah. Yep, we're nip- nipping that one in the bud. So what, else, what more about this thing? We're going to cut that one off. <laughs> going to circumcise the conversation? Yep. Yes. Uh, yes, we're either going to be circumcising it as we are circumspect about the problem. 
So, U.S. District Judge Lawrence Zatkoff wrote that Monaghan, who is a devout Catholic, has shown that, quote, abiding by the mandate will substantially burden his exercise of religion, end quote. Which is, in other words, the right to be a bigoted jackass. Yeah, but what about... And I have no problem with him being a bigoted jackass, but... Uh, if he's going to be an equal opportunity employer, then he can go fuck himself. Right, and I mean, he, his bigoted religious view is affecting somebody else's health. Yeah, 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 and that's that's the thing is is they don't understand most of them that uh, uh, the birth control pill does more than just stop pregnancy. And it actually uh, it also, technically doesn't stop pregnancy; it just. It, Right, but well, actually, it, what, yes, because when you're on the pill, it's effectively like what being pregnant all the time, yes. isn't that right? Yeah. So you'd think they'd be happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> Just they're not actually pregnant, so. Yeah. So yeah, you go, Monahan. What and what is it with with pizza owners? <laughs> and, uh, now Papa John's actually backtracked on that, right? Because they had such a public backlash. You know, when it turned out, it was like raising it, what, like 22 cents or I think it was Not even, even that. Like, it was like a dime. It was like, like, it was dime. like 11 cents. Right. Yeah. So, but that backlash was about the entire health care law, all of it, not just the contraceptive mandate, I thought. Right. That's true. So it wasn't quite so much the religious nutbaggery stuff. This was more of the conservative nutbaggery. Oh, that's a good That's a good point. That's a good point. We, we, can't, we can't roll him in. Because he's looking at it as, as a purely business expense yes. rather than um, a delusionary... Yeah, well, the guy from Hobby Lobby <laughs> should be looking at it from a purely business sense, and he's not doing that. No. Well, he, well, once it starts hurting them, they will. But since Monaghan's no longer at Domino's, we can't, we can't boycott that. But at least there's Hobby Lobby uh, versus that other one. What's the other one that's in town? Michaels. Michaels, exactly. Which is ironically Christian in nature. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of those unfortunate things when you're trying to decide how to avoid companies that are don't do what you want them don't want them don't do what you don't want them to do. Or right. oh, my brain is not working right now. You want to avoid companies that you don't want to give business to, but because they supply something for you. You kind of, it's kind of like Walmart because they're open up at two o'clock in the two o'clock in the morning, and so you can go get your aspirin from them at two a.m. Well, it's not just or that they are the only ones buying it. It's like if you if you want to uh, if you're dealing with conservative values, uber Christian values, but you're trying to say, well, which hardware store am I going to go to? The two big competitors are both bad that way. Right. So it's kind of six of one, half dozen of the other. Right, but one's but in this case, one Hobby Lobby is being a douche about it. Yes. <laughs> yep. Whereas Michaels is just like, uh, just shutting up. So, you go, you go, you conservative Christian people, twats. <laughs> you know, and I, I, I'm trying to figure out a good a good cuss word without using genitalia. Well, you can just use more general, gender-neutral words like crotch. That, but that just doesn't have the 
the, the ring. impact as twat does. <laughs> okay. You Frenchman. All right. Moving on. <laughs> wow, okay. That's your ultimate insult. No, that's not. That's I was just being, you know, suddenly racist. Gary, why don't we change the subject? Let's change the subject. Um, so, it could be that Monahan and the dude from Hobby Lobby will provide health coverage uh, and especially the contraception coverage when hell freezes over. Speaking about hell freezing over, uh, global warming. Does that really require a generous speech? Yes. Go for it, Jerry. All right. So uh, uh, a while back, I yeah, actually this must have been over a year ago. I had made a conjecture that we might have problems with volcanoes uh, due to global warming because of the the glaciers on top of mountains and especially dormant volcanoes melting and thus relieving pressure on the top of the volcanoes and and allowing uh, magma to come welling up. And we poo-pooed that and thought, no, that's that's really not how it works. But in a non-peer-reviewed <laughs> um, on LiveScience.com, there's a uh, a guy. Hold on. Oh, great! Just a guy. <laughs> no doctor. No, no. Uh, Bill Bill McGuire of the University College London's Hazard Research Center. So they're kind of uh, doing speculation on how uh, unintended con- uh, unintended consequences of global warming. You so what he's saying unintended condom un- unintended condoms from Hobby Lobby. Um, so what he's saying is one thing that, that that there appears to be data that shows during the last ice age when the last ice age went away and all of the glaciers melted, there was a large rate, an increasing rate of earthquakes, volcanoes, and tsunamis and landslides. Uh, because what, what happens is all of that water goes into the ocean, the ocean pushes down on the mantle, and then the, there, so there's a lot of shifting going on because of the release of all this pressure. And all the pressure so that was on the land mass goes away. Goes down and then presses on the mantle, closer to the mantle. On, on, the, so, on the undersea level, which causes all of these dormant vo- volcanoes to be a little bit more active. And I thought that was rather interesting, and maybe it's true, in which case my speculation a long time ago was vindicated. Well, the only but, thing, as I said... The only thing that makes me think, well, we can't be too sure, is, is how precise are they on what exact... what the timing is, is because I know... There can be things like more volcanic activity can lead to climate change itself. So maybe the additional um, volcanic activity led to changes that led to the end of the ice age, not the other way around. Yeah, that that could be, but they're they're showing that um, all of these these earthquakes and stuff actually followed the melting. Okay. By by like twenty five hundred years. Or more. All right, that's at least the margin of error that I can look at and say, yeah. okay, show me more. Yeah. So it's it's kind of interesting. Um, so they're, they're showing that there were 
Because of the increased weight and the settling down of the sea bottom, that caused undersea landslides or stuff on the coast to, to cause tsunamis. And so they, they see all of these effects happening because of uh, uh, the melting polar caps. And the, the other thing is that, that they say is, um, you know, it's going to happen slowly over a period of time because it's not happening that fast. But at the same time, all of our worst projections are kind of coming true. Right. <laughs> so uh, we, we may know more than we think, just but we may we may be off on on where our, where our projections happen. It's hard to say because it's such a huge system. You know who the hell knows. Right now, so I just thought I'd throw that out there. Um, <laughs> just to say that I proved my point and I was right all those yeah. months ago. Yeah, I, exactly. I might I might be right. I might be smarter than I think I am. The one week I don't do research and you're just gonna say, yeah, I was right all the time all along. <laughs> And you guys can't exactly. check me because Greg's tired and Donna's surly. I don't know. Well, if we... I'm, if not, <laughs> I'm not surly. If, if, we find, if we find that that I am wrong, we will correct it at somehow. <laughs> yes, we'll, we'll change the world to make it right. Yes. Uh, but, speaking, speaking of, the of the world. Exactly. Speaking of other worlds. Let's talk about NASA for a little bit. Um, no, let's not talk about NASA just yet. Speaking of other words, of speaking of other worlds, Donna. Yes. You posted something on our super secret thing. No, you posted on the real thing. Yeah, I posted it on the real thing. On the Facebook. Yes. Uh, about a a new planet picture. Oh. Tell us about it. Well, um, there's the world's highest radio telescope. It was built on the Chilean Plateau in the Andes. It's about 5,000 meters above sea level. And what it has captured is the first image of a new planet being formed as it brings in this cosmic dust and gas from a distant star. It's like the coolest picture ever. Looks kind of like it an eyeball or Google Chrome. Yeah, it does, it does look a lot like the Google Chrome logo. It actually kind of <laughs> looks like the eye stock from a Dalek. Um, but like I said, I mean, this is taken from our planet for however many, you know, light years away it is. 450 light years plus about, what, 55 miles. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so it's, it's a really, you know, like I said, and I'm, you know, you, when we talked about this earlier, you were like, I'm really surprised that, you know, some of our um, telescopes that we have in space haven't picked this up. So, yeah, like the Hubble, for example. Uh, <laughs> Wait, what are you doing up there, Hubble? Being lazy. Put you up there for a reason. Although, and I had to say this, I don't like the artist's rendering of it. You don't? No, I like the actual picture. I'll agree with that. Uh, although, I mean, it kind of looks like he's just kind of taking the picture and, and getting it down to its, its basics, Dunny. But no, I like the picture a lot better because it's more, far more impressive. Yeah, this conversation was straight on the audio podcast. Yeah. yeah, so that's pretty darn cool. And that's all we have to say about that, really. Hopefully, um, something spectacular will happen to show us that well, hopefully, 
we'll get the newer stuff up there so we can take some even uh, better pictures. Not through, not through the uh, the atmosphere. So we can yeah. Get above the atmosphere and and get a sharper picture because that would be awesome. Yes. Because the only the only re- uh, actual pictures of plants we have are reflections of light in the in infrared. And this is an actual picture of a freaking planet starting to form. You think yeah. of all the, uh, the tiny Did you believe animals. that it's... Was it astronomers believe that the gas streamers are the result of two giant planets, too small to be visible in this image, exerting a gravitational pull on a cloud of surrounding dust and gas, causing the material to flow from the outer to inner stellar disks? Which, I'm an anthropologist, so I'm just reading this and have no idea what they're talking about. Greg, get your brother. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of planets, then, uh, Mars, Mars Curiosity or- Rover found something interesting over the holidays. Uh, a, a Martian? A Martian rose. Yes. Um, what? I think I would have heard of that. Well, it turns out it's not really... It's not really um, organic material. Oh, well, fine. They're they're saying that it's a piece of plastic, another piece of plastic that fell off the rover and stuck to a rock. But it looks pretty darn stuck to that rock. (laughs) And it does look like a flower. Yeah. So So. it's rather interesting. Uh, We'll be posting the links to these so you all can go look at it. You blogites. Yeah, sorry, you podcast podcastites. That just sounds like you're gonna throw them to the lions, Let's just doesn't call it? Them minions. Okay, minions then. <laughs> but you know, uh, this this Mars flower, the Martian flower, it's like I said, it the way the picture is done, it looks natural. It does. Uh, and almost like a piece of packing corn. Yeah. Is it just one picture from one angle, or were they able to get multiple angles? I'm sure they got multiple angles, but the the one that uh, NBC News has up is just the one the one picture. I haven't actually been to the NASA blog. So it's kind of like that Martian face thing where, from one angle, it does kind of look like a face, but if you just turn a little bit, it's not really facey. Yeah. Right. And if you see it in different lighting conditions. You know, you have to wonder how it got on this rock, and they just happen to see it because it's really small. If you if you see the the big picture, and then you see that they're really close to the rock, it, it amazes me one that they even saw it. <laughs> but it's it's weird how it how it got there. So there must be a lot of debris from from the landing. So you know, we're just kind of polluting another planet. Yeah. How far yep. the rover traveled from its original landing site? Um, Probably not like that far. Yeah, a couple hundred yards, I think. So, you know, my guess would be that they would take an overall picture of of something, uh, you know, just parts of the landscape, and then you get a whole, you know, cavern full of interns to look at all the pictures and say, what might be fascinating for us to follow up on? And you see one little glint of, is that plastic? And then they focus the camera down on that, and then that's how they find it. Yeah, but it's just it's just kind of amazing that they saw it. Yeah. You yeah. Know? 
Well, that's what we hopefully give them money for to find the fun things, the interesting things. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and uh, I think it travels 90 meters a day. So, however many days, plus... Kind of like me on the weekends. <laughs> exactly. But... NASA's got some interesting things up their sleeves, and I hope that they can begin trying to accomplish them. The the one thing that you always hear about is, like, NASA's going to do this, and NASA's going to do that, but it's always that NASA is thinking about it, but then never has the money. Right, kind of like their new idea to drag an asteroid into the orbit of the moon. Exactly, which I think is a really good idea. Um, because it'll, it'll, well, they have the, the ion engine that just passed, what, 445,000 days of work. So they do have the ability, uh, or sorry, 40, 45,000 days of running nonstop. So they have the ability to get out there and bring something back now. And that's cool. Uh, in a, in a timely manner. And what could possibly go wrong by targeting an asteroid that are Well... This is the deal, though. They're talking about a seven-meter asteroid. So it'll give a couple of individuals a bad day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if if they can't stop it and it goes into Earth. But it's not going to, it's not, you know. Somebody's going to need a new roof, not New Jersey is gone. Right. So wait a yeah. minute. Yeah, so, so it's, it's a test case. Yeah. Hold on one second, one second. He's going to ask his brother. What, what can a seven-meter asteroid do if it's pure rock? Well, I just asked the astrophysicist in the next room, and you're right. right. <laughs> I did some reading. So did I. Okay. So probably what happened is this would blow up in the air, is in the atmosphere before it hit anything, and then someone get conked on the head or. It would burn up the side. Well, yeah, actually, if you probably. look into the comment section of the article. There's an interesting link. Um, first, under you got people saying, first comment. <laughs> it's, um, it's a Nazi plot. <laughs> Earth Impact Effects Program out of Purdue University and the Imperial College in London. And so, like, you know, you can put in different impact parameters and... You know, kind of, it'll estimate all of Yeah. Like, so, let's like here. a three-mile-wide asteroid made of blue cheese going at 55 miles an hour, you say, Yeah, because what we're talking about is, presumably, you'd, you'd be able to, I mean, you it wouldn't be going as fast as norm, as an asteroid that's that's freely out there, because you'd have to stop and bring it back. So it, it would maybe be a couple hundred miles per hour. So you can effectively call that zero uh, on a on a cosmic scale. <laughs> Unless mainly what this ion engine does is gently push it from its current trajectory in one that kind of will loop around a couple planets and slingshot towards Earth in a way to aim and, it at the moon. Exactly, and and that changes the the whole thing. Right. Uh, I'm assuming. I'm assuming. Still be going pretty well. No, 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 no. Because what they're talking, according this article, is talking about going out there and grabbing it in a in a bag. And then literally grabbing it and bringing it back. It's so like Santa Claus. Macy's bag or something? Or scoop, scoop. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So, but they're also talking uh, about sending humans to an asteroid, to a close asteroid. 
But of course, to do that, you have to get beyond the moon. So we have to get to the moon first, again. Not necessarily. Well, because you're going to have all the problems with cosmic rays. It's uh, way out there, you know. Uh, granted, we've we've got that around the Earth anyway, but you don't... Well, you're going to be affected by all this other stuff, which we do know a little bit about because of all those crap we've been sending out into the... Uh, into the solar system. True, but, but there, there, what I was saying is okay. we don't necessarily have to make the, the missions to the moon first before we uh, probably go not. The it could but be it makes more stuff. sense yes. to yes. because because then you can actually launch from the moon and save a shitload of fuel. Yes, I agree with that. Especially if there's ice. Yeah, I guess you're right. Same thing, you know, it might make more sense well, to have no, a no. moon base before you send someone out to Mars. Yeah, well, I mean, because... Like right, because you have to see... Because living... Living on a space station would be different than living on a spaceship going someplace, which would be different than living on a moon. Because space station, you can get there... In a couple hours, moon takes a couple of days. So if something goes wrong, you've ha- you've got that time. And once you get beyond there, you're screwed. <laughs> so you have to be pretty damn self-sufficient. And so putting someone on the moon would give you a small case study. Yeah. Uh, but bigger bigger than the case study than than the the International Space Station. That's my point. I, I and you would I, think that NASA would do that. But we've done the moon, and all the politicians want to be the ones that say, I funded a project to go to an asteroid. Aren't I special, so vote for me again. <laughs> yeah, but but having a frickin' moon base, how awesome would that be? Like sharks with laser beams. Exactly. So, you go, NASA. Get some shit done. Do something cool. Not like you're not doing cool stuff now, but do more cool stuff. <laughs> We need more reasons to hang out in bars and yell, go science. <laughs> exactly. That's really all I had. So, speaking of cool things, you and me, Gary, finally did another cool thing, which is our solar challenge. Yes, we did. So, many, many moons ago, back in October, we uh, issued our latest song challenge, um, and since we knew that um, November and December would be busy holiday-filled months for us, we gave ourselves a whole whopping two months to do the song. Um, as effective as Which, of course, <laughs> we, we waited until the very last minute to record them. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to find a diplomatic way to say that, and yeah, um... So, uh, there the, isn't. The, the song challenge this month was on the theme of gluttony, so that's why it's kind of the November-December theme. So anything along those lines of eating, overeating, or the sin of gluttony, whatever we wanted to do. And uh, we, Gary and I each came up with songs, and as Gary politely alluded to, um, <laughs> because of just life getting in the way, grad school with Gary... Um, let's just... Life getting in the way with you. Your dog, you're having to go home and leave and come back to work. And go... <laughs> yes. yes. So, I, you know, it took me a while to get the inspiration for mine, and 
by the time I got everything set up, it was right before this big vacation I was taking, so mine was very hastily recorded when I had a sore throat. So yeah. That's a little bit of a, of a <laughs> please take it with a grain of salt. Don't, don't hate my songwriting too much on that one. But that's the fun of the song challenge is, is trying, to, trying to write the song and get it out in the, in the time that, that we're given. Yes. Or, or at least in the last three days of the time that we're given. So are we going to start with Gary's this time? Yeah. Yeah. Let's start with mine. So uh, uh, mine's called Mr. Creosote, um, based on the Monty Python uh, skit from or segment from uh, Meaning of Life. Uh, and Mr. Creosote is, is a glutton and a very large person. And... Uh, he comes into a restaurant and eats a lot. And so that's what the song is based on. <laughs> and here it is. Inside of him, let it against the bound. 
That's my song. <laughs> um, like I said, it's it's kind of inspired by a jellyfish song. Okay. And uh, it's it they have this really really cool New Orleans jazz thing going on with the tuba going dum dum dum, and then the clarinet solo and the whole thing. So I was like, and I, I had been listening to it while driving up up and back to Dallas for for Christmas. I thought that's the style I need for for this song. So basically, the lyrics, of course, are fairly straightforward. They kind of walk what happens in Elegant, which is the name of the restaurant. That he's a he's a glutton, and of course, he eventually explodes at the end. Which spoiler alert <laughs> for those who haven't seen the Meaning of Life, Monty Python. Uh, but I also looked up uh, famous gluttons, and so I, I mentioned that you're into now? Yeah, okay. where it says uh, Nick Wood and Jack Biggers. Uh, they are f- uh, famous, famous, uh, well, uh, semi-famous gluttons. And uh, I-, I list what, what happened to them. Nick Wood uh, survived, lived through all of his stuff, but they what they would do is they would cover his belly with with oil and ointment because it would stretch so much and so it wouldn't burst open. But Jack Biggers bet that he could eat six pounds of bacon, greens, dumplings, bread, and a gallon of beer in an hour. And he was... Yeah. He was, uh, I think, a quarter loaf of bread short when he died. Wow. So I guess that contradicts that Mythbusters episode where they... Tried putting the pop rocks and cola in a cow stomach, and they just saw it expand, expand, expand. But they forgot about the internal organs on that one. Yeah, what happens though is yeah, it pushes the internal organs out of, out of the way, and you basically um, it affects your breathing, your heart rate, and all of that. Yeah, and and it, it's possible that a stomach burst. I didn't actually do too much follow up on. It. I just saw that he died. Um, but I mean, it's 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 not really much different than the the water torture, where you fill up the the body cavity with water and then bend the person over and they burst their internal organs. 
And that's exactly, that's what I think happened with Jack Biggers, you know, before they're... Well, yeah, because um, there's uh, cases of people who suffer from Prader-Willi syndrome, which is basically their stomachs never send the message to their brains that they're full, so they eat and eat and eat. And it's literally, it is one of the most debilitating disorders around. Yeah, do they, uh, but they, they feel... They feel hungry, but they never they, feel full. Right. They're always hungry. Oh, that's bad. Yeah. So and what, I did not know of this. they manage it very carefully, not only do, yeah. do they have the risk of just, just overeating to, to death, but they probably just overeat a lot and are probably more likely to be obese. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, it's a constant supervision. They have to be constantly supervised. Gotcha. Gotcha. Hmm. Well, I would imagine at some point that if if they knew about it and had enough, that's a hell of a lot of willpower to be sure. But if if you knew that, okay, I can only eat twenty three hundred calories now with our lovely little smartphone apps, you know, you'd be able to track everything that you did, and you wouldn't necessarily overeat. It'd be easier to stay within budget. But that was that was my song. You know, it's just in, inspired by. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Creosote, obviously. <laughs> what about you, Greg? Let's listen to Yorn. Alrighty, junk food junkie. When it comes to food, I'm always in the mood. My mind wants to munch. More than supper or brunch My will, it won't say no To a snack on the go Picnic or potluck I'm a slave to my stomach More than meal routine My brain wants dopamine Give it all to me I'll always be a junk food junkie Deep down in my soul I crave snacks in bowls I sway and I swoon For goodies on my spoon My heart goes toxic For carbs on a stick I'm just one more dork When food is on my fork When it comes to weight I don't think straight Hands, knife, or sporky I'll always be A junk food junkie serve it, my craving won't quit, the fat hits the spot, past those cranial thoughts, make it hot or bitter, my mouth posts on Twitter, from bland up to spicy, it all appeals to me, no matter the cuisine. I take it fat or lean, salty, sweet, or chunky, I'll always be 
Hey, junk food junkie. Personal song. You, you figured that autobiographical point off. Uh, yeah, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I, I do. I really like that you went into my favorite things as a instrumental part. That was really cool. I, yeah, it was one of those things where that, I, that groove of the, the the E minor to D. That's most of the lyrics. I'd had that in my head for a while, and I was like, that sounds kind of like something. Um, and it's like, oh, that kind of sounds like my favorite things. I don't have a lot of time to think of an instrumental part, so I'll just put that in there, and it's kind of holiday so why not? Um, yeah. But I, I, it worked the interesting I, part for me was, in doing that, um, the, the groove of the main part of the song is in five. Whereas my favorite things is in three, so I had to um, kind of figure out how to make that work. Um, and, and you did it by adding a beat. Well, essentially, yeah. At just one point, I just uh, I, I give it a, a, a few bars of three and then break into it. And all that was recorded with pretty much within a day. Um, so it's um, very slapdash and demo. Plus, my voice was going to hell at that point. So you know, be glad you can hear all the versions of me cracking like a thirteen-year-old. I do have one complaint about your song. Okay. You would cancel Firefly for cake or pie? Really? You are dead to me. You are just dead. Well, the whole point of the song on the autobiographical side was that, for me, food is definitely an addiction that I have to be careful and have mind over matter on, otherwise bad things can happen, like something like Firefly getting canceled. But it was, you know, I was not very specific on, you know, I'm not a big fan of Jell-O, but it rhymed easily. So... <laughs> 
Right. Yeah, sometimes you have to give up stuff uh, for for the song. But as, as a big man whose only vice really is eating, since I don't drink and I don't smoke or do drugs or anything like that. Yeah, someone might say that not doing that stuff is a vice too. Someone like you me. Yes. <laughs> me too. <laughs> You've got vices, they're just anti-vices. We've already discussed the fact that it's a good thing that, that I don't have that vice. Yeah, um, <laughs> exactly. But just the idea that it's, it's a constant battle of mind over matter, mind over my craving to have snacky food, and that's really where the skepticism comes in of... I have to think better than my lizard brain that says, I want sugar, I want sugar, and I wanted, I got all technical, so I looked up, you know, which brain chemical is kind of done by food, so dopamine, okay, I did something like that. It's always that damn dopamine, isn't it? <laughs> nope, I, I hear screaming in the background. Yes, that would be my nephew, Connor, I found out that in the week or so since I've been away, he's... Two more, two, two, his two teeth are coming in. His first two teeth, so he's not been a happy camper. Because I was going to say, it sounds like there's a velociraptor in the back. Yes. <laughs> what the hell is happening to me? Well, when you're at seven months, you just don't understand why the world is doing this to you. No, and it's very hard to explain. No. <laughs> well,. Uh, you did a good job on the song. Thank yes, you. both of you did actually. You did too. Enjoyed both of them. And uh, we're not going to do once again. We're not doing the the lightning round because that's a Greg thing, and I really don't know how to do it. <laughs> it's really not that hard. You look at the first sentence of each article and say, "How is this kind of?" And we only we only had like five articles posted. So. <laughs> oh, that would be the great thing that I post a lot of stuff during the week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, I, I posted I posted a lot for me this week. That is true. I'm very proud of <laughs> I, you, Gary. I posted quite a bit, too. Is that your New Year's resolution to actually participate in the finding of topics, Gary? Yes. Yes, that, that is. Uh, I, I'm trying to. I'm trying to make better use of my time. Says the person who's monopolized by grad school. <laughs> well, I do, I do, you know, I do have some time where I'm, I'm actually just kind of on the Internet researching and then I go off on a tangent so I'm trying to stop the tangents gotcha. which are they're, they're quite fulfilling but they they take up time all those cat so. pictures science oh. oh yes cat pictures my, my favorite animal <laughs> to kick I like angry cat <laughs> so, uh, so do we are we going to decide on a song challenge topic right now um, well, let's, let's, uh, think about that. Um, I guess it'll be February, right? By the time we get around to the next right. one. Right, and we did Valentine's songs last year. There is, if, if it's January, February, we could do a President's Day theme. Okay, Luther King sure. Day, something like that. Yeah, how about, how about, um, a, any of the holidays in January or February? Uh, can, uh, uh based on people. So you could you could just do George Washington's birthday, or Abraham Lincoln's birthday, or uh, Martin Luther King. King. So not Groundhog Day. Yeah, you can do Groundhog Day too if That's you want. No. Punxsutawney Phil. Still not a person though. 
So, so unless you're a vegan. Post New Year's non-Valentine's holidays. Yes. Yes. But winter. Uh, in January, February. Pre-spring. Yes. Pre-spring, yes. Which leaves out Groundhog Day, because that's all about spring. Not necessarily 36 more weeks of winter. That's what I'm saying, though. <laughs> it's about spring. <laughs> right, but... Right. No! Groundhog Day is pre-spring. Yes, but it tells you on whether spring is going to get here sooner or later. Depends on if the Groundhog is melted on the spring. is what we call see bounce, see bounce, Right. <laughs> exactly. Is that a space walker or something? Well, we'll try to keep it more specific on the president's or Martin Luther King, those kind of things. Yes, humans. It has to be a human-y kind of thing. Thus, the challenge has been made. Yes, the gauntlet has been thrown. I stuff you with a glove, my friend. <laughs> you bastard. Challenge accepted! <laughs> I will meet you on the field of songiness. Yes. I will meet you on the digital field of battle. <laughs> Do your worst. All right. That being said, thank you all for joining us this week. Thank you, Greg, for driving 12 hours and eventually showing up and being semi-coherent. And Donna? What? Thank me for what? Staying awake? Yeah, honestly, pretty much. That's been the hardest part tonight. <laughs> well, thank you both for joining me for this this podcasting of yet another week. Yay. And I will be talking to you next week from San Diego. I finally get to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> it's been nearly two years of episodes, and Gary has been in San Antonio for all of those episodes. Pretty much. Gary, but we did do the one in Austin. Or on the way oh, to the Austin. Road from Austin or something? Yeah, to and from, the yeah. One in Houston. Yep, we did that one too. So I have gotten out of it, but I haven't gotten out of actually doing the fucking thing. <laughs> Alrighty. But, that, but that, what this means, though, is that you will actually, Greg will be editing this next week. Okay. Because I, I, I won't or be able to do I it. I can. Oh, that's true. I, I want to. Take, choose choose your your poison. Okay. Oh, we'll God. It it's out of my control. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> now we know why you haven't gone on a vacation from the podcast. You're a control freak. <laughs> no, I'm not a control freak. I'm just worried what you'll cut, cut or not cut <laughs> for me. <laughs> Uh, there's a hundred dollars in whoever edits it uh, <laughs> to be nice. Of I don't have a hundred dollars, but eventually there will we, be. No, we have to be nice to you because otherwise, anything edited after that, you won't be nice to us. Oh, well, that's true. That's true. There is there is the uh, tit for tat that's thing. That's really the only reason we've all been civil to each other these last two years. <laughs> and I've 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 been nice in my edits for the most part. I, you guys have not complained too much. Well, no, I don't think you guys have complained about anything I've left in. Well, Donna so. the show. <laughs> well, that's true. I've already heard the show. Not the way I've got it. <laughs> you do realize that he drops your voice in Austin? 
Yeah, so we add an LD at the end of your name. <laughs> so thanks for joining us, Donald. <laughs> Bye, guys. But then again, I, I, I pitched Greg's voice up, so... <laughs> yes, Greg, Greg... Yeah, I, I don't know, what Gregoria. would be the female version of Gregoria? It's Georgia. right. George. All right, well... It was good, good see, uh, seeing you guys. Yay! Yay! And we will uh, see you guys next week. Yes, sir. Sounds good. Talk to you soon. Yay. Bye. Bye. Awesome. <laughs> the Skeptifier podcast theme music is by Oscar Lawn with guest mandolin by Greg Perrine. If you've enjoyed listening to The Skeptic Wire, leave a review on iTunes or leave us a voice message via the PodPosted app for iPhone. Friend us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at The Skeptic Wire. Follow our blog at skepticwire.blogspot.com or send us an email, skepticwire at gmail.com. You've been listening to The Skeptic Wire. My brother is trying to strike through the room quietly. Okay. Hey, is it is it at all possible to? Uh, hello, brother person. Hello, brother person. <laughs> they say. Is it say. is it at all possible hello. for you, for for you, for you to get uh, a uh, internet connection, a wired connection? Just have it where you are. If not, no no worries. What's what's happening on our side? Down are you hearing the um, vocoder? Yes. <laughs> Basically, we hear you nicely, and then underneath that is this, is this, uh, is this Android sound. Yeah. Oh dear, oh dear. And it, if if you're if you're listening close, Donna, you you he just said oh dear, and he goes oh dear. <laughs> but it's it's slightly behind you. It's almost as if you're a Dalek. Yeah, I'm being followed around by like a three-year-old Dalek that is just repeating everything yes. I say. <laughs> a little a little puppy Dalek. <laughs> Oh, he's so cute, he's going to kill somebody. <laughs> Hold on one second, hey, Randall. Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, move the computer, move the computer, move the computer. Getting off Wi-Fi, getting off Wi-Fi. <laughs> That's not funny, but I've been on the road for 12 hours, so of course it's funny. It's hilarious. <laughs> It's not funny. It's just fucking hilarious. Obviously, <laughs> he's getting wired. He's getting wired. He's getting wires. Who wires? Who wires? He's gonna plug it into his, his Ethernet. He's gonna plug it into his Ethernet. <laughs> okay, that was me at four in the morning, Gary. You're There's no more scared. Daleks. There's no more Daleks. <laughs> This should be interesting because I gotta, gotta sit on the floor. Sit on the floor. Well, Gary wanted to be wireless, not wireless. He wants more wireless involved in this situation. Yeah, I, I think that may help your your Dalek problem. <laughs> well, my Dalek problem might hear you guys fine. Going back on that. Do you have a Dalek in the? Huh? Going back on the headphones, if you have anything more to say to my brother, say it now. Okay. Do you have a problem with Dalek infestation? <laughs> Why not call Daleks Be Gone? No, that's not working. <laughs> no, nope, it's still there. Still there? Yeah, not as bad right now, though. All right, well... 
we'll just we'll have to live. Oh, to live with it. Unless, yeah. unless we switch over to Skype. Oh, we, I mean, we, yeah, what do you think? Do I'm fine with that? it. Fine, oh. fine with, it, with the Dalek? My evil Either Dalek way. Voice. Yeah. Now, what happens if I actually talk in a Dalek voice to you guys? I don't know. Talk like a Dalek. You will be exterminated. Yeah, that works. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, 